Father, we just come to you and we do thank you for this great country that uh, you've given us to live in, to worship in, to teach your word in. And we just thank you for the freedoms that we have. But we see things, those freedoms eroding, Lord, as at this very present time, we see terrible things happening in our nation. And Lord, thank goodness we don't get what we deserve. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your mercy. But Lord, we just ask for you to turn this nation around. We ask for you to revive the people of this land, Lord, to revive your church so that we can be the kind of light that you've called us to be in this very, very dark time in which we live. Father, that's a mountain that seems impossible to climb. And today, as we look at this story of Abraham, we're going to see him climb a mountain that seems impossible to climb. But, but Lord, we're going to learn a lot about faith as we look at this story and the kind of faith that does climb mountains, that conquers mountains, Lord, that, that, that overcomes this world. That's what we need in this dark time in which we live. And, and Lord, this lesson is so appropriate to, to the situation uh, in which we are in. And we just ask that you give us the kind of faith that does overcome this very, very, very dark world. We only can have that through Jesus Christ, Lord. We can only learn about that by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask that you help us to in this study today. It's a very important lesson. I ask you that you do it uh, by his power. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1924, uh, after two unsuccessful Uh, attempts to climb Mount Everest that cost, uh, I think, about four lives. The leader of the expedition was speaking in London, England, at a uh, fundraiser. And uh, and behind his podium, he had a giant picture of Mount Everest. And uh, when he finished his speech... Uh, He turned to the picture and he shouted, and this is what he said. He said, we tried to conquer you once and you overpowered us. We tried a second time, but again, you were too much for us. But I say to you now, Mount Everest, I want you to know that we will soon conquer you, for you can't grow any bigger, but we can. That climber never conquered Mount Everest, but in 1953... Sir Edmund Hillary led an expedition, and they reached the summit uh, of Mount Everest. And since that time, over 3,000 climbers have made it to the top of Mount Everest. Now, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of faith to climb a mountain that's 29,000 feet tall. But in chapter 22 of Genesis, where we're going to turn today, where you want to begin today, we're going to be looking at the first three verses of chapter 22. And we're going to see Abraham attempt to climb a mountain much higher than Mount Everest. Not in height, but in difficulty. Because the Lord's going to tell him that when he reaches the summit of Mount Moriah, that he wants him to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And you talk about a mountain that that has to be conquered and we want to dig into this story a very important story of beautiful picture of of uh of what jesus christ has done for us but we're just going to look at the first three 
uh, verses today and kind of introduce the story. So pick up with me in chapter 22 and let me read to you the first three verses. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham. And immediately Abraham said, Here I am. Here I am, Lord. And then he said, Take now, the Lord said to him, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now watch Abraham's obedience in verse number 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, when we left off last time, Abraham had settled in Gerar. He had settled near the town of Ziglag uh, with uh, Sarah and Isaac. And when you look at the last verse of of chapter 21, it says that Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines in Gerar many days, which translates to many years. So he was there many years down in uh, the land of Gerar. And then probably when Isaac was about 20 years old, he moved uh, a little bit east to the land, the promised land, and stayed in Beersheba. And that's where he's at more than likely when these events occur. Now, as far as the timing of these, this event, uh, we, can, we can kind of figure it out by looking at a few things in the text. One of the things is when you get to chapter 23, if you look at verse number 1 in chapter number 23, the next event on the biblical calendar is the death of Sarah. And it says there in chapter 23, verse 1, that Sarah lived 127 years, and uh, these were the years of the life of Sarah. Now, Sarah was 90 years old when uh, Isaac was born, and so that would mean if she died at 127, that Isaac was 37 years old when she died. And this event that we're looking at in chapter 22 happened sometime a little bit before that. If you look at the word in, in uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapter, going back to 22 in verse 5 and verse 12, that word for lad there is the same word that's used for young man in verse number 3. And usually that word refers to somebody in their late 20s or in their early 30s. So, you know, you got to get the picture out of your head, your, this picture out of your head of this, this uh, young little boy that Abraham takes up to, to sacrifice. He's actually a young man, probably in his early 30s. Uh, and now look again at the first part of verse uh, 1 in chapter 22. And it says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, if you've got the King James version or some of the other versions, it says that he tempted Abraham. But we know from James chapter 1 verse 13 that God can tempt no man. He never tempts a man. And so the word, the Hebrew word here is nasah, and it doesn't mean to tempt. It actually means to test or to try. So he test, he's going to test Abraham. He's going to try Abraham for Abraham's benefit and for our benefit. Now, if I was Abraham and I was reading this verse today, I think he, I would say something like this. 
I mean, Lord, what do you mean that after these things you tested me? I mean, you started testing me the, at the, ver- the very first day I met you. You were testing me when you told me to leave my homeland and go to a strange land that, that you referred to as the promised land and that you were going to bless me and you were going to make my name great and you were going to give me a son and out of that son you were going to make a great nation. Well, that was a test because it took 25 years for me to have that son. You tested me, Lord, when, when there was that famine and you sent a famine into the, into the promised land and I went down to Egypt and Pharaoh took my wife and, and put her in, her, in, in his harem. That was quite a test too. I mean, you tested me, Lord, when, when, when Lot was captured and, and, uh, by a bunch of pagan kings and I had to rescue him with only 300 of my servants. Lord, you tested me when, when I was in Hebron and I looked down in the, in the valley of, uh, at the Jordanian Valley and I saw Sodom and Gomorrah go up in smoke, Lord, and I wondered who was next. You talk about a test. That was a test. And, and Lord, you tested me when you gave me my name, when you call, told me that my name would be Abraham, father of nations. I mean, I didn't even have a son and you were calling me father of nations. I mean, you should have heard the people laugh at me, Lord. And Lord, uh, you tested me when you told me that the sign of the covenant would be circumcision. Lord, that was quite a test. I was going to have to circumcise myself and my servants were going to have to get circumcised. And you should have saw my servants' faces, Lord, when I told them what they were going to have to do. I thought they were going to kill me. Lord, you've tested me over and over and over again. I mean, Abraham would be right in saying that. God tested him over and over and his whole life was full of tests and and i mean we're going to come to chapter 23 and there's going to be another test his wife who he loved so much and had spent so many years with she's gonna she's gonna die and 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 i'm sure he had tests after that i mean his whole life was full of tests but this test was the greatest test this test that this 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 task that God calls on him to do to go up on that mountain and offer his son up as a burnt offering. That's quite a test. Now, we can learn something from this. Guess what? Our lives are full of tests, too. Abraham, how old is Abraham at this point? I mean, if Sarah was 127 when she died, then uh, Abraham was... was uh, 137. And so, I mean, he, he was probably, probably not much younger than that, probably no more than, you know, no less than 125 years old at this point. And now after all those tests he's had in his life, he's about to face his greatest test. You see the lesson right there? God's never through testing you as long as you're breathing the air on, on this earth. God is still going to be testing you. I've shared this, this story with you before uh, years ago, but so bear with me if you've heard it. But but I don't think most of you have. Uh, years ago, when I was in seminary, I took a workshop and it was a workshop taught by a very good speaker, a guy named Ron Dunn. At the time, he was pastoring one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the country. And uh he spent 
this workshop, most of this workshop, telling us what he had done to build the church and what God had done to build the church uh, where he was pastoring and, and just all the tests that he had gone through. And, and uh, man, you, you're thinking, man, do I want him want to pastor, you know, after he told us about all the trials and tests he had faced uh, uh, in those early years of his pastorate. And then on the last day of the seminar, he, he, he actually preached a message and he came to Genesis chapter 22 and, and uh, he talked about Abraham and the test that Abraham faced and how uh, we face some of our greatest tests in the latter years of our life. And then he shared an experience that, that took place in his own life. Uh, he said he got a call one day at work. I mean, everything was going great. I mean, his ministry was booming. Uh, his book, uh, some of you might have read his book, Don't, uh, Don't Stand There, Pray Something, was the number one bestseller on the Christian uh, uh, book list. And uh, I mean, everything was going great. And he got a call from his wife and his teenage son had taken a shotgun and put it to his stomach and fired and he and she had come home and found him dead in a pool of blood. And he went on to talk about the years after that, the few years after his son had died, how how everything had changed. I mean, everything had changed. He didn't care about his book anymore. He didn't care about pastoring. He didn't even want to pray. He was so angry at God. He didn't want to pray. He said he got in the pulpit every week and and uh, he. He, 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 he just went through the motions. He didn't want to be there. And, and God was testing him. And he said he, he, don't, he didn't think he would make it through the test. But one day a lady came up to him and her son had hung himself. Her teenage son. And he was able to minister to that lady and he felt the power of God when he ministered to that lady and he said since that time he had had all these opportunities to minister to 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 parents who had lost their children uh, through suicide and and he saw the reason maybe God had allowed this to happen in his life and so he endured that test and and uh, he was teaching us that hey just because things are going good in your life Look out because there's, there very well might be some mountains you're going to have to climb right around the corner. When we think of climbing mountains, we think of, yeah, man, God gives us a new job. He gives us a new, new vision, something really fantastic to do. But sometimes those mountains are very painful. Sometimes they come in the form of uh, losing a loved one. Sometimes they come in the form of some disease. Sometimes they come in the form of a divorce. Sometimes they come in all sorts of ways and we're tested during those times. Just like Abraham was tested, just like Ron Dunn was tested, we're going to be tested. Uh, I don't know that that was his greatest test. I'm talking, speaking of Ron Dunn now, because I read a few years ago that, that he had uh, cancer, a very aggressive, painful form of cancer, and he died from that cancer. And I'm sure he was tested. I didn't speak to him during that time, but I'm sure he was tested during that cancer, too. So we never arrive at a point where we're done being tested. And our last test very well might be our greatest test. But we can overcome those mountains when they come. 
If we're born again believers, we can overcome those mountains when they come. So let's go back to verse number one of 22. So the Lord said to him, Abraham. And listen to what, how Abraham responds. He responds, here I am. Do you remember those words? Those are the same words that Samuel spoke when he first heard the Lord speaking. And he didn't know who it was. But he said, here I am. And he was being submissive to Eli. But, but then later on when the Lord called on him, he said, here I am, Lord. Your, your servant hears. Speak. I'm listening. And so uh, basically what Abraham was saying when he was saying, here I am. He was saying that, Lord, I recognize you as my God. I'm glad you've spoken to me. And here I am. And I will do whatever you call upon me to do. Now, he didn't know what the Lord was going to call upon him to do. Because the Lord had called upon him before and asked him to do certain things. to Like leave his family and go into a strange land. But now the Lord's going to call upon him to do something. Uh, climb a mountain uh, taller than any mountain he's ever climbed before. You know, I've had people over the years as a pastor who have told me, I never hear from the Lord. And usually the people who tell me that, you can almost read where they're at in their Christian life by how they live in their relationship with the Lord. And if you live in a relationship with the Lord where it's all about you and it's not about obedience to the Lord, you're not going to hear from the Lord. The Lord's not going to call on you if you're not going to, when the Lord calls on you, you're not ready to say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. You remember Saul. I mean, Saul was a character who, who at first in his ministry as king of Israel, he heard from the Lord. But then he became disobedient to the Lord and he wouldn't obey the Lord. And so the the latter part of his reign as king of Israel, he rarely, if ever, heard from the Lord. In fact, things got so bad that when he was facing the Philistines, he, instead of calling upon the Lord, he called upon the witch at Endor. And, 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 And that's a terrible state to be in under, you know, understand his pain. I mean, if you don't hear from the Lord, I tell you what, when I don't hear from the Lord, I'm, I'm perplexed and I'm worried and I'm troubled. Uh, you know, what's going on, Lord? Why don't I hear from you? That's a bad state to be in where you don't hear from the Lord. You compare Saul to David. Now, David always heard from the Lord. I mean, in, in almost every major decision that David made, you read his, his story through through uh, first and second Samuel and almost every decision he made, he first called upon the Lord and he didn't just call upon the Lord. He heard from the Lord. And the reason he heard from the Lord, because David always, almost always did exactly what the Lord told him to do. So he was a man after God's own heart. And so he heard from the Lord. If you're willing to obey the Lord, like David and like Abraham, you're going to hear from the Lord. And Abraham heard from the Lord. And 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 now we listen in verse number two to the word that uh, of the Lord that came to Abraham. And it comes in the form of the greatest test that he he, just about anybody would ever face. Certainly the greatest test that he ever faced. Look at verse number two. Listen to what the Lord tells him. This is his word. 
I mean, I, I, I mean, I love to hear a word from the Lord, but sometimes the Lord gives me a word I really didn't want to hear. And Abraham's going to get one of those words. He says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. Now, you talk about a difficult mountain to climb. I mean, uh, uh, that's a difficult mountain to climb. Not so much in height. The, the land of Moriah is that ridge of mountains in Jerusalem that, that uh, overlooks the uh, Kidron Valley. The, and then across from, the, from the Mount Moriah and those, those peaks at Mount Moriah, uh, you see the Mount of Olives. But, but at, at its highest point, Mount Moriah is only about 2,300 feet. So it wasn't the, 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 amount of, the, the altitude that made it such a difficult task. It was what he had to do. And that was that he had to offer up his son as a burnt offering. Now, imagine what Abraham must have been feeling when he gets this word from the Lord. I mean, his heart had to sink to the lowest point ever. I mean, take Isaac, your only son, the one whom you love, and I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Now, now at this point, I think he might have even doubted the, if this was the Lord. I, I, mean, I mean, he had heard from the Lord before, but this doesn't sound like something the Lord would do. I mean, would the Lord call upon me to offer up a human being, my own son? I mean, w- could the Lord be so cruel as to do something like that? Look, there's sometimes we think that the Lord's being cruel to us. And that's wrong. We're, we're, we blaspheme the Lord when we think that way. The Lord always has good intentions. Abraham's going to learn that. We're going to learn that in this story here in a minute. But, but it, it does seem cruel at first. And there's some things that God asks us to do sometimes that seem cruel. Things that, things that don't make sense. But we've got to trust the Lord when things don't make sense. And that's what Abraham's going to do. I mean, here God is asking him to, to offer up Isaac, the, the, the child he had waited for his whole life. Uh, the child who's a, who's a grown man now, he's about to, ha- you know, he's going to have a wife soon. He's going to have grandchildren. I mean, that's the best part of life is grandchildren. And, and I mean, he's looking forward to all this. And, 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 and he tells him to offer him up. He's looking forward to the fact that through Isaac's, he's going to, his name is going to be great. He's going to, uh, through Isaac, his seed, uh, and through Isaac, uh, is going to come a great nation. The Messiah is going to come through Isaac. And now all of this is going up in smoke, it seems, at, at the moment, you know, when Abraham thinks about this. Now, he had another son. He had Ishmael, but Ishmael is long gone, and Ishmael wasn't the child of promise. Isaac was the child of promise. And so he's got to be sick to his stomach. And, 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 and he's got to say, how can I do that, Lord? But I must do that. Because the Lord's called me to do that. And the Lord is the one who's given me this son. So I'm going to climb up Mount Moriah. And I'm going to do the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I'm going to offer up my son Isaac as a burnt offering. Look at his obedience. Look at verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I just, I, it just amazes me how steadfast Abraham was in fulfilling this task. I mean, he doesn't look back. 
I mean, he takes that journey right up that mountain, knowing that when he gets up to the summit, he's going to have to kill his, his only son. And, and he, he, he never looks back. Now, you talk about faith that conquers mountains. Abraham had it. And this is where I want to go now. Because we can have that kind of faith too. God has called on all of us, all his children, to conquer mountains. We're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And how do we conquer those mountains? We conquer those mountains one way, by faith. By faith. This is what John says in 1 John 5, 4. He says, for whatever is born of God, that's us. Born again believers, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If you don't overcome the world, you're not born of God. I mean, just put two and two together there. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory that conquers mountains, our faith. That's how we overcome the world, through our Christian faith, through our faith in God. Now, I want to propose to you, as we finish up here today, four things that determine whether or not you have the faith to conquer mountains. There's four things. Uh, Number one is our experience. Look, if you're just new to this Christian life, don't expect to have faith that conquers mountains. You got to conquer a few mountains before you have the kind of faith that conquers mountains. So, so number one is our experience. Number two is our proximity to the Lord. Now, the Lord never goes anywhere. But we leave the Lord all the time. We turn our back on the Lord. And, and so if, if we're not in close proximity to the Lord, then we're not going to have the faith that conquers mountains. Then the third thing, and I speak of this all the time, is the object of our faith. Now, if you're having a problem conquering mountains, you might want to write these down. Our experience, our proximity to the Lord, the object of our faith. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. And the fourth thing. And it's just as important as the first three. Our will. Our will. Now, let me, let me bring these into the context of this story. Abraham, we've already talked about it. He had lots of experience uh, in faith. I mean, he had, he, he had proved over and over, or the Lord had proved over and over again that he could trust the Lord. And he had begun to trust the Lord. I mean, when he, when he rescued Lot, when, he, when, when the Lord rescued uh, Sarah from, from Pharaoh, when she rescued uh, Sarah from, from Abimelech, uh, most importantly, when Isaac was born, how could you not have faith if you were a, a hundred years old and your wife was 90 and you had a child? I mean, and, and you see the 90 year old woman nursing that child for three years. How could you not have faith? So he had the experience. So experience is, is really important. I mean, Abraham knew that the Lord was true to his word. And that every promise that the Lord makes, he keeps. I mean, the Lord had promised him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he was going to have to have a son to do that. And, and after 25 years, he had that son. 
And, and he could look back when Isaac was born and he could look back over those past 25 years and he could see that everything that God had done in his life, it had worked out for his good. When you've been in this a while, you can look back at some of those trials, those mountains that you've had to climb. And you can look back and you can you can uh, testify that those things have worked out for your good. Some things you thought, man, at the time, how could this be good? How could this be coming from God? If all things work together for the good of the Lord, how could this be happening to me? But you can look back. If you, It might take a few years. But you can look back and you can see that God is true to his word, that he keeps his promises, and that he has good intentions for everything he does in our life. That comes from experience. I don't know about you. I've had lots of experience. And I should have faith as strong as Abraham's faith. But you put a trial in front of me and I tend to chunk everything out the window. You ever do that? I mean, yeah, you did it last time, Lord. You fixed it last time. But I don't know if you can fix this problem. You ever do that? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what gets you past that. It's your proximity to the Lord. See, here was Abraham, and he hadn't heard from the Lord for years, for decades. And then all of a sudden, the Lord pops up and says, Abraham. And man, that was sweet music to the ears of Abraham. He had a rush of excitement when he heard the Lord. And he said, here I am, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'm ready to go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. I mean... Whenever you sense the presence of the Lord, let me tell you what you also sense. You sense the power of the Lord in your life. Whenever you have that real experience of God's presence, if you've ever had that, you know what I'm talking about. Man, you feel you can do anything. You feel you're more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Lord, anything you ask me to do, I can do. And I'm sure Abraham was feeling that way too because he was empowered by, by the Lord. Now, the third thing and maybe the most important thing, I don't know if you, I think all of these are equally important, but, but if you were going to make one the most important, it's the object of your faith. And we've talked about this over and over again. Uh, if, I mean, the only worthy object of your faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only worthy object of your faith. If your faith is in yourself, if your faith is in your own strength, if it's in your government, if it's in your doctors, if it's in your if it's in, in uh, your bank account, you better look out. Because they're going to fail you at some point. All of those things are going to fail you at some point. I mean, you think maybe our government is failing us at this point and it looks like it might even get worse. I, 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 but if your faith is in God, you are more than a conqueror. In Jesus Christ. And you can conquer any mountain. Because the Bible teaches. And I've mentioned this over and over again. That the object of your faith is much more important than the quantity of your faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say this mountain be moved and that mountain will be moved. You certainly can climb any mountain if you have faith in the right object. And the right object is none other than Jesus Christ. And the object of Abraham's faith was the Lord. And so he believed the Lord. He believed that the Lord had good intentions in calling him to make this sacrifice. Now, that took a lot of faith to believe that. But he had, he, the object of his faith is what he was focusing on. 
And he knew all about the Lord, about as much as a man can know. Uh, he, he knew that the Lord couldn't lie. He knew that the Lord had made promises to him and the Lord was faithful to his promises and that he had promised him that through Isaac would come a nation, through Isaac would come the Messiah. And the, and if he went up there and he was going to sacrifice Isaac, one or two things were going to have to happen. The Lord was going to have to stop the sacrifice or he was going to kill his son and the Lord was going to have to raise him from the dead or the Lord was a liar. And he knew the Lord wasn't a liar, so he trusted the Lord. That's exactly the case the, the author of Hebrews makes over in chapter 11. So go with me there for a minute. Towards the end of your Bible, almost to the book of Revelation, go to chapter 11 of Hebrews. And look at verse number 17, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse number 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered his only begotten son. Of whom it is said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. I mean, he knew what what these promises meant. But he concluded, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, Abraham believed that not only that God could raise him from the dead, that God had to raise him from the dead if he killed him or God would be a liar and God cannot lie. Now, if you really believe that about God, that changes everything. If you really believe that God keeps all the promises of his word and that he cannot lie, that changes everything. That's where you get your faith is the object of your faith. But then that brings us to the fourth thing. Very, to keep your, uh, your uh, hand there in, in Hebrews because we're going to come back there in just a second. But it brings us to the fourth thing that determines whether or not we have the faith to move mountains. And that is our will. Now, we don't want to talk about our will. Lord, you just do all of this for me. No, faith requires our will. Look, even though Abraham had experience in trusting God, he had seen God work good things in his life over and over again. Even though he was in close proximity to the Lord, so close that he could hear the voice of the Lord. Even though... The object of his faith was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Even though the object of his faith was in a God he knew who could not lie, Abraham still had to make a choice. He still had to exercise his will to believe. Listen to me. Faith is a gift of God, but it is also a choice of men and women. It is our choice. We have a choice we have to make over and over and over and over again, beginning with our salvation. That's a choice. A lot of people have not. They say they're Christians, but they never really made that choice. I mean, God gives you the faith to believe in Christ and you understand that Christ died for your sins. And the only way you're going to get to heaven is for Christ to die for your sins. But you're still trusting in yourself. 
You never really make that choice. You've been given the faith, but you never really make the choice. Look, I said stay in Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. And look down in verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 4, look down in verse number 9. He says there, the author of Hebrews says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. If you're not resting, you're in the wilderness still. And he warns in this passage about, you know, perishing in the wilderness just like the, just like the Jews did because of their unbelief. Uh, and so he says there remains, a, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So many people that, that, that get so close to getting this thing right and becoming Christians... They never really make this choice. They never really cease from their own works. Legalists, uh, people say, oh, you can be a legalist and be saved. You can't be a true legalist and be saved. If you're still trying to work for your sanctity, if you're still for your holiness, if you're still trying to do that. I'm not saying we don't want to make efforts to be holy. But if you're thinking that's better in your, your efforts are better in your position with God, that that's how you get in a righteous position with God that's how you're justified by the works of the flesh uh, by the works of the flesh no one will be justified you've got to cease from your works therefore there remains a rest for the people of God for he who entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works and as God did from his now watch this next verse let us therefore be diligent to enter, to make that choice, to exercise our will. That is work. You've got to work because the flesh is proud and the flesh wants to say, look at what I'm doing. Look at how good I am. Look at how, look at me. I'm better than everybody else. I, I don't do this and I don't do that. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't fool around. So, so I'm much better than everybody else. No, we're to be diligent to rest in Christ. To rest in his righteousness, to rest in the work of his blood, to rest in his sanctification, to rest in his glorification. We gotta work at that. And, and, and we work at that by exercising our will over and over and over again to be determined that I'm gonna rest in the works of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna rest in the blood of Jesus Christ, that it cleanses me from all unrighteousness, that my sins and lawless deeds have totally been removed. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed my sin. All my sins are forgiven. I've got to rest in that. So let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience of the Israelites. And what was their disobedience? Uh... Look back, uh, let me see if I can find it here. They did not enter in because of their unbelief is a verse I'm looking for. Do y'all see it? Well, read chapter 4 and you'll find it there somewhere. Okay. I'm looking for it still. I'm determined. Oh, no, it's in chapter 3. That's what he says. Look, go, go to verse 15 of chapter 3. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Uh, for 
who having heard rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? How did they sin? They really didn't have much opportunity to sin out there. I mean, they made the golden calf and they had all of that debauchery, that party there when they did that. And they were, Korah rebelled against Moses. You had some of that, but that really wasn't it. That wasn't the root of it. Look what it says. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Because they were drunkards, because they were they were fornicators, because they were adulterers, because they were homosexual. No, because of their unbelief, they were not diligent to enter into the rest that you have in Jesus Christ. That is a choice we make uh, in, in salvation, but that's a choice we make every day to, to, to exercise our will to believe God. To, to be, to, to have faith in God, not ourselves. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that it is impossible to please God without faith. I mean, we are, we are saved by faith. We're sanctified by faith. We live by faith. We'll be glorified by faith. We're to always be people who live by faith. Moment by moment, we live by faith. Now, back to the story here. Don't you imagine, I mean, just put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a minute. Don't you imagine as he went up that mountain, up Mount Moriah, he's climbing that mountain with his son, and his son had the wood on his back, and he's climbing that mountain, and he's looking at his son, and he knows what he's about to do. And, and don't you think that everything in him was telling him to turn back? I mean, everything in him had to be saying, turn back. Common sense says turn back. I mean, uh, character says turn back. You can't do this to your own son. Righteousness says turn back. This isn't a right thing to do. I mean, and you got to believe the devil was there too. All the forces of hell came against Abraham as he's climbing up that mountain and say, I mean, uh, what are you doing? You're going to kill your own son? I mean, I don't think God told you to kill your own son. And if God did tell you to kill your own son, why serve a God like that? He couldn't be a good God if he would tell you to kill your own son. And so everything was crying out to Abraham, turn back. You're making a big mistake. And I'm amazed Abraham didn't turn back. I mean, the Lord didn't speak to him again. He he said, here, he, he told him what he wanted him to do. And Abraham did it. And he didn't turn back. He went right up that mountain and he built an altar and he laid his, bound his son and he laid him on that altar and he pulled back the knife and he would have killed his son if God had not told him to stop. And we'll get to that story next week. So he conquered that mountain. And how did he conquer it? By faith. Faith. He overcame it by faith. I don't know about you, but I would love to have faith like that. The kind of faith that overcomes the world. The kind of faith that conquers mountains. Well, to have that kind of faith, number one, you've got to have experience with the Lord. 
That takes time. And I, and I know people say, have a diary and write down, you know, the times when the Lord comes through for you. But you know what? I don't even have to write it down anymore. The Lord always comes through for me. And I'm not special. He comes through for all his children. He always works for our good. And I've got experience in that. But again, as I said earlier, sometimes I, I, even though I have that experience, the next trial comes along and I'm ready to chunk it. I'm ready to chunk out all that experience, all that faith, and, 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 and begin to doubt the Lord. So the next thing I've got to make sure of if I'm going to have that kind of power and faith to overcome those mountains is my proximity to the Lord. If I'm close to the Lord and I'm hearing from the Lord and I'm experiencing the Lord in my life, his presence in my life, in my prayers, and in my Bible study and in, in my walk and in my, in, in, in my trials, if I'm experiencing all that, I'm going to experience his power, too. And I'm going to have that power to overcome uh, the trials of life and to climb those mountains because the object of my faith is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to trust in him more than I ever trusted myself. From my experience, I know don't trust myself. Don't trust you guys. I don't trust you guys in some things. But don't trust doctors totally. Don't trust lawyers, certainly. Don't don't trust. I'm joking if you're a lawyer. We don't have any lawyers here, but if a lawyer happens to listen to this, that was a joke. I mean, don't trust your money. Don't trust your government. I mean, trust the Lord. I mean, the object of your faith is the Lord. You know that the Lord means well for you. You know that if he asks you to do something, it's for your own good. But then there's one other factor that determines whether or not we have that kind of faith that conquers mountains. And that is our will. We've got to exercise our will. When you're facing some mountain in life, let me tell you if you don't know it already, and I'm sure most of you know it already. When you've got that mountain to climb, there are going to be naysayers there. What are you doing? I mean, what in the world? Why are you doing it this way? I would do it this way. Common sense says do it this way. No, I'm doing it this way because the Lord told me to do it this way. And not only are you going to have naysayers, all the forces of hell, when you've got a mountain, you've got to climb, they're going to come against you. They're going, to try to, they're going to try to get you to doubt the Lord, to doubt his goodness. Do you ever hear those voices that, that, that say, man, you know, I hear them all the time. I mean, I know how good the Lord is. I, I can just theologically explain to you how good the Lord is. But when trouble comes my way, I sometimes question the goodness of the Lord. And then I hear those voices that question the goodness. I can't believe the Lord loves you and he'd let this happen to you. I can't believe the Lord loves you and he'd make you do this. That's where your choice comes in. That's where you exercise your will to believe that God is good And that all things that God calls you to do are for your good. And if you'll do all those things, you're going to make it to the top of that mountain because you have faith that conquers mountains. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for that faith is a gift. Lord, we thank you for the experience that you give us in life. 
the experience to see that the faith that you have given us is real. That you're true to your word, Lord, that you're true to your promises. Father, we thank you that, that the object of our faith is none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that, Lord, over and over again, that when we're near you and sense your presence, we can also sense the fact that we have your power to be overcomers, to conquer any mountain that comes our way. Father, but sometimes the flesh is willing, but the spirit is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, Lord, I, I just ask that you give us that kind of faith, Lord, that when we want to doubt you, that we just make that choice to believe you and know that all that you're calling us to do is going to work out for our good. And no matter how tall that mountain is. We're going to be able to climb it and ascend to the summit and, and, and become conquerors through Jesus Christ. We just thank you for all you do for us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.